Hello online. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hello everyone that's here. My name is Brian. I'm the youth pastor here and I'm getting to teach you on Sunday mornings has been awesome. I look forward to it every Sunday. absolutely love it. We're going to continue in our topic of side by side. Um, This is something that God laid on my heart maybe three, four weeks ago and, and gave me a a lot of different verses and a lot of different passages to go over um, and to study when looking at how we as individuals, we as the church, um, and, and today we're going to look at how God walks side by side with us as well. I think relationships are so important to God. We looked at that a couple weeks ago that relationships are so important to God that if we're getting ready to sacrifice and getting ready to do worship or give an offering, God says, I want you to pause if you recognize that somebody has something against you. Pause, go make it right. And then last, two weeks ago, because Barb killed it last week with an amazing message, I love getting to hear her speak. Um, but two weeks ago, we talked about um, when um, someone has sinned against us, what we're supposed to do with that. And so we spent two weeks looking at relationships, two weeks looking at the, the horizontal. But today we're going to look at the vertical relationships. We're going to look at our relationship with God, and we're going to look at this, this little phrase, and, and this one came from a song that if you love this song, I'm sorry, I'm going to make fun of it, because it, it's just, it gets stuck in my head. It's the, I am a friend of God, he calls me friend. You know that song? I've said every line of the song, I think. Are there any other, li- are there any other words to that song? Like, that's all I remember, is it just keeps saying it over and over, which makes it stuck in my mind which means every time I hear it for the next three months, I'll be like, washing the dishes. Yes, I wash the dishes. Washing the dishes, and I am a friend. No, stop. And it just, it always drove me nuts from like, I remember in youth group, we would play it. And like, I think we played it in youth group because like it had two chords. And so everyone knew how to play it. And so we could all sing to it. But it wasn't until much later in life that I realized, man, when God says that he wants to be our friend, When God says that we are his friend, that's huge. That's huge. I got a chance to hang out with some guys last night, and I was talking about just a little bit about this message. And I said, we understand that God's our father, and we need him to be our father. But it's also amazing when your father is your friend, your confidant, your trusted associate. It's amazing to have that, that dual role within a father. And, and that's, that's the thing. Like God is, is our king, our savior, our Lord. He's all these things, but I think we forget a lot of times that he wants to be our friend. And so we're going to look at that today. Um, if you have your Bible, it's going to be in John 15. I mean, John 15 will also be up here if, if you don't have your Bible or forgot it at home or left it in the car or whatever, and it's way too hot to go back out there and get it. Don't do that. Like I, get a, I start sweating thinking about going outside at this point. I don't even have to get outside. I'm like, I think about outside, and I'm like, oh, my word, I'm sweating. It's ridiculous. This is why I like the winter. Um, I know Laith just prayed, but I always, I always have to pray to settle my spirit whenever I get to share God's word because I think I get too excited, and I talk too fast. So I'll try and slow down, if you'll pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for this morning, thank you for all these people. Thank you for everyone that's online watching right now. God, thank you that we have opportunities to connect with people in the midst of this, this pandemic and everything that's going on. God, it's crazy out everywhere. But God, thank you that we can pause for a little bit on a Sunday morning. Just connect. And to connect with you in this morning, I pray that we learn more about how you want us to connect with you. 
and what it means to be your friend and, and how you want to be ours and, and how big that is and how major that is. And God, this morning I pray that you give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are ready to be molded and feet that are ready to be moved into action. God, as always, I say it every week, whether I'm teaching adults or students. God, anything that I say that's for me in my imagination, let it be forgotten. God, your truth, let it stick forever. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So John 15, a little context, starting in John 13, you have um, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and then they have the, the, their last supper. And, and then in John 14, 15, and I think even through 16, maybe even 17, I should have studied that more, he continues this dialogue with his followers. After John 13, Judas leaves to go do his Judas thing. He goes and betrays Jesus, and so it's Jesus and his 11 disciples. And he's talking to them about all sorts of different things, and he's, he's instructing them and, and commanding them. And in, I think it's John 17, he prays for them, and it's this incredible prayer. Um, but in John 15, he begins to repeat himself. And you'll, if, if you're familiar with John 13, um, it's where we get uh, in 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. This is my command. Um, and so we see that in John 13, 34, and 35, but here in John 15, starting in verse 12, we pick up that same thought. It says, this is my command, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is another very famous verse. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I heard someone say just this week, maybe it was last week, sorry, um, in a conversation with someone, talking about trying to have all the answers and, and knowing everything um, about God. And he reminded me, we don't know everything about God, but we know everything God wants us to know. That was like one of those like, that's brilliant. I'm never going to know everything about God, but I can know everything he wants me to know. There's certain mysteries that we're never going to understand. And I was talking to someone about, you know, um, Arminianism, Calvinism. Did God choose me or did I choose God? Uh, I don't know. Yes. That tends to be my answer. Yes. Mm -hmm. I go see all of the above. Because it's a mystery. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's the same tension where Scripture says that, that I am the very righteous, righteousness of God himself through Christ Jesus. Combined with Paul saying, the Lord came, Jesus came to save sinners, of which I am the foremost, which I am the most, which I am the worst sinner. We're both. So are you a saint or a sinner? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very much so. Both. All the time. And so there's this mystery, and, and this idea of friends, he's talking about that part of the reason we're friends is because we can know all that God wants us to know. We're going to talk about that. We're going to look at this phrase, friend of God. And like I said, we have many different relationships with God. If we were to ask, like, what does God want in a relationship, we could say he's our creator. He's our sustainer. He's our savior, our Lord, our master, and our father. But the one that I don't think we'd talk about much if I polled everyone before today's message, I don't know that many of us would have said friend. That the relationship dynamic that God wants from us includes friendship. We don't talk about it much. 
in 10 years of giving messages, I don't think I've ever given a message about being a friend of God. I've given a lot on, on Jesus being our Savior and God being our Father. But in 10 years, I think this is my first time talking about being a friend of God. Because it sounds so simplistic. It sounds too minimal. God is, is the omnipotent, all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe. Friend is not really the dynamic that I think about when I think about my relationship with God. I think about fearing God, not in a punishment, judgment sort of way, but in like, he could literally smite me right now, just for the fun of it, which is why I'm not God, because I would. Like, you got on my nerves a little bit, done. Ken, that's why I'm not God. Um, and you should all be very thankful for that. And in the Old Testament, you don't see many people being called God's friend. We know that Abraham was. Abraham is directly called God's friend. In the book of Genesis, it says that he was obedient and therefore was a friend of God. We know that Moses, in the book of uh, Exodus, I believe, he's talking about that God spoke to Moses as a friend. Now, those are the only two places that I've found that God directly says, or Scripture directly says, that they were friends of God. Now we can assume that when it says Enoch walked with God, Noah was blameless before God, and David was a man after God's own heart, I think it's implied friendship. But there's only five. And you don't see it talked about hardly at all, but then Jesus comes on the scene. I think it's the message translation says that God put on flesh and bone and moved into the neighborhood. And that's exactly what Jesus did, and he comes and he, he lives a life that none of us could live and dies a death that none of us are willing to die as a sacrifice for the sin of all mankind. And in that, once we accept that free gift of salvation, we become adopted into God's family. And I pray, I've, I've preached that a lot, being adopted into God's family and, him being part, and us being part of his family. But one of the aspects that comes with this New Testament understanding and the grace that God gives through Jesus is friendship. And it's really, really interesting and it was something I don't think I'd ever really grabbed a hold of. But it says there's no love greater than when a friend lays down his life for his other friend. Blew me away. Absolutely blew me away because it doesn't say that the greatest love that can be found will be found between a husband and a wife. It doesn't say that the greatest love that can be found can be found between a mother and her children. It doesn't even say that the greatest love that can be found can be found between God and us. It says the greatest love that you can ever experience is found within friendship. I think for all of us, that should really change how we do friendship. Like this is a, a rabbit trail from the main point of my message. But I think if the greatest love that can ever be found is found in friendship, that should totally change how we do interpersonal relationships. That the greatest love that I could ever experience in my life is not between me and my wife or me and my kids, but me and my brothers, me and my friends. It changes things. So we're going to look at what does it look like to be a friend of God. So I'll tell you what's coming. We're going to take just a minute to look at what friendship with God looks like. And then we're going to look at the two benefits that we get from being a friend and the two expectations. Okay? Just so you know, if you're a note taker, now you know the outline. But we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. 
to really see what friendship with God looks like. I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to paraphrase it. In creation, before sin happened, Adam and Eve had direct, immediate access to God. And the thing that I found most interesting, there's no religion, there's no rituals, and there's only one rule. Don't eat that tree. Which clearly, we know, didn't work well. Because we're humans. Don't do that. Mmm. Now I really want to. I didn't want to until you told me not to, and now I really want to. It's like your children. Don't touch that. Well, I hadn't thought about it until you told me not to. Now I have to touch it. But there was this dynamic between God and man where it was immediate access, closeness, and constant presence. They had friendship with God. They had an intimacy with God. Not even like that word, but it's perfect for this moment. They had this intimacy, this closeness with God that you and I struggle with all the time. Because sin has entered the world. Adam's, even Adam's sin, my sin, your sin, has all entered the world, and it creates this divide between us and God. It creates this, this pushback where we want to be close, and it sometimes feels like God is far off. Now, we recognize God's what's stationary. We're what moves. Okay? And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But if you look, John 15, it says, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. If you look in, the, in, in Genesis, in, in, in the story, God told them the, the whole plan. You're going you're gonna to work this field, and it's going to produce fruit, and you're going to eat everything you want, and you eat all the animals, and this, everything is here, and we're going to talk, and it's going to be great. Just don't do that. He lined out the whole picture. There was nothing that Adam and Eve didn't know in that moment about the Garden of Eden. Nothing. That's part of being a friend. The word friend in the Greek in John 15, 15, says it's a member of the royal court, a king's friend. It was part of the king's inner circle. Most kings would have three to five people that were their inner circle, their trusted associates. And they would know everything that the king was thinking. They would, they would guide the king. They would help the, cling, the king. They, they were intimate and trusted. But the trick was, it's not friends like you and I would be friends. Because in our relationship, we're even. We're equal. If you're a friend of a king, you may be his friend, but you're still subservient to the king. And that's the challenge sometimes when we talk about being a friend of God is, is we'll relate it to how we are friends with other people. And it's even playing field. And that's not at all what it means to be a friend of God. He is king of kings. He is lord of lords. We are subservient to him still. We're close. We have instant access. If you were to go visit royalty now, you would have, especially now with COVID, but even before then, you would have to stay a certain distance away to make sure that the royalty was safe, that the king was safe. You'd have to show certain honor. You would have to do certain things to show respect to the king. The inner circle doesn't have to do that. If the king is sitting on his throne, the inner circle can just come in and come directly to the king, which is what you and I have. You and I have instant access to the king, therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. When it says boldly, it's, we're not afraid of punishment. We're not afraid of God's presence. We're not afraid that we have violated something. We are his inner circle. We're his friends. 
We can come and be close. But again, he's still the king. That's a huge part of the dynamic, and sometimes I think I've been guilty of it. I forget that my relationship is with the all-knowing, all-powerful God. And sometimes I don't give the awe that should be there in a relationship with God. I don't want us to live in the awe and be in so much awe of God that we can't be personal with him, that we can't be transparent with him in prayer and let him know what's going on in our lives. But there are certain times, especially I find in worship, where I am reminded that he is the king over all things. And I am very, very small in comparison. So we're going to look at, like I said, we're going to look at two benefits for us this morning and then the two expectations. Now, we're going to do a little quiz. I know you weren't ready for it. It's pop quiz. We're getting ready to go back to school. We're practicing, okay? If you've heard two or more of my messages, you're going to know this answer, okay? I promise. I promise. Having said that, what would you assume is the first benefit that we have from being friends with God. I talk about it all the time. Love. Everyone's like, oh yeah, he does. That comes up a lot. I think we talked about that two weeks ago and then the week before that and then the time before that that he talked. Wait a minute. I think it's been every part of every message he's ever taught. Yes, it is. It is. That, that is the core of what I teach. I teach that God loves us and we're supposed to love God and love everyone else. That's the foundation. People are like, well, why do you keep teaching that? Because I don't do it well. And and neither do most of us. We still struggle with this. We struggle to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So let's keep talking about it. Well, I figured that out. Okay, now love everyone else. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, I'm good at loving my brothers. Great. How about everyone in the world? And until we love everyone in the world, we need to keep talking and reminding ourselves of love. But the first And foremost benefit that we have from being friends of God is love. And you see that in 1513. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus just said, you are my friends. I'm sorry, he's going to say that here in just a minute. And what's funny to me, this shows you how dense the disciples were. Like, so he says, He's talked about how he's going to lay down his life. He's going to come back in three days. And Peter's like, that'll never happen. And that's when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're not understanding. And then he says, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. And they're like, oh, cool, cute. We're his friends. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm going to die. No, I don't think so. Because even when he's arrested, they're like, ah, it'll be fine. It's fine. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's not fine. He's actually dying. This isn't how it's supposed to work. He's God. You can't die. And I think it's so funny to see how dense the disciples were. And I think it should give us all grace when we hear a message or we hear or reading scripture, we're like, I I just don't understand that. Yeah, neither did the disciples. And Jesus kind of spelled it out pretty clearly. There is no greater love than someone to lay down their life for his friends. You are my friends. Connecting the dots? No, we're not. Can you explain it again? <laughs> they just, they never quite understood it. And I think, to be honest, when it comes to understanding God's love for us, we never quite connect the dots. 
we always are short in understanding how immense God's love is for us. That's why part of time, when it says that God can do more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine, that's doing, but it's also in his love. His love is so much more than you could ever think or imagine. Because it's truly, truly unconditional. It's not based on you. It's based on his character, his nature. And he loves us as a father. He loves us as our creator. He loves us as our savior. But here in John 15, he says, I love you as my friends. And this is what, this is the reality is, I gotta be careful I say this. I tell my kids all the time, I love your mom most because I picked her. You, I was given. I didn't choose y'all. I love you, but I chose her. That's what friendship is. Friendship is a choice. I choose to be friends with you. I choose to take the time to build a relationship with you. I choose to walk through life with you even when it's hard. I choose that. And I think that's why understanding that God is our friend is so unbelievably important because he's choosing us. A father gets stuck with his kids whether he likes it or not. (laughs) Okay? But friends are chosen. The friends I have in life are there because both of us mutually decided we're going to be friends. And we've lived life together and built that friendship. And God, God through Jesus here, is saying, you, you, you're going to understand my love as a father. You're going to understand my love as a creator. But I really want you to understand how much I love you as a friend. I choose you. I want you. I accept you. The second benefit that we have is Knowledge. The second benefit we have is that we have complete knowledge of the plans of God. And he says that here in 15.15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. All has been made known. There's not some secret knowledge that we can gain. The knowledge that we can have is available to us. And like I said, we don't know all that God knows, but we know we can know all that God wants us to know. Because if we knew all that God knows, our brains ooze out our ears because we're humans and our brain cannot comprehend all the things of God. That's why one of my favorite sections in the Bible is in the book of Job, when Job finally goes to God and he's all upset and God's like, whoa, where were you when I founded the earth? Little man, where were you when I put the stars in the sky? Where were you? And and Job's like, I'm sorry. Like, (laughs) it's amazing how much God allows us to know. And he says it very clearly. He says it what his will is, what what our purpose is. And the the struggle is, we think there's got to be more because it's too simple. It it really is too simple. We think it's got to be more complex. What is the will of God for my life? Go and make disciples of all nations. Well, what else? Um, Love one another. Well, what else? Go and make disciples of all nations. But there's more, right? Love everyone. Well, how? Okay, great. Let's look at what Paul writes. Paul is essentially just the commentary on how to do the things that Jesus said. 
And so the knowledge is there. And now knowledge doesn't mean just knowing things, okay? Knowing things about someone doesn't make you their friend. I use this analogy all the time. When I was growing up, I was a huge fan of Michael Jordan. I'm still a huge fan of Michael Jordan. He's the greatest player of all time. It's not LeBron James. I'm sorry. It's Michael Jordan. Don't argue with me. I will destroy you. I knew so many stats about Michael Jordan. I knew so many like ridiculous things of like where he was born and, and his college stuff and like personal things. It was weird. I was, you know, that's what we do. Were Michael Jordan and I friends? No. Would have been cool, but we were not. Just knowing you can memorize the entire Bible and still not know God. You know things about God. But until we enter into a relationship, we don't know him. Until we apply what the Bible says and then have to work through the mess of applying the wisdom of an infinite God to a finite, broken world and have to deal with that mess, we don't know God. It's about relationship. I listened to Rick Warren give a message about this topic this week. And I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm throwing him under the bus. He's, he's famous enough. He's got enough followers and friends that me throwing him under the bus is going to be fine with him, I promise. And in this message about being a friend of God and talking about knowledge, this is what he said. You're as close to God as you choose to be. If all the knowledge about God is available to you, you're as close to God as you choose to be. Fun fact, I stopped listening to his message after this. I was done. I was, it was too much. Because he's right. And it made me angry. <laughs> I didn't want to hear it. It's one of those moments where someone says something that's so true like it hurts. Like, I don't need that in my life right now. I got enough things to worry about. Like, but it was really challenging for me. If God is my friend... And in that friendship comes this idea that Jesus has relayed to us all that we should ever need to know about God and his character and his person and who he is and how he functions. My ability to grow close to him is strictly on me. Because again, he's the constant. God is unchanging. Fancy word is immutable. He's unchanging. I'm the one who's fickle. I'm the one who's prone to wander. Jesus and God are never that one sheep that gets lost. That's always me. They don't go anywhere. I'm the one who walks away. I'm the one who creates distance. I'm the one who is only as close to God as I choose to be. That was really, really convicting to me. And in that, we're going to look at the two requirements of us. So when we're friends of God, there's two requirements that God asks of us. And the first one is this really ugly word that no one likes to talk about. Obedience. I don't like that word. I don't. I, I, I struggle with the idea of being obedient to many things. But when it says in John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, what I'd like to do is, like, do some preaching gymnastics around this to make it sound softer than what it is. 
Like, well, he doesn't mean that if you, you know, but, it, but the Greek means, I, I tried. The Greek essentially says, you value what your friends value and therefore you do what he says. And he's the king. He's the king. Now, we have a gracious king because do you know what happened to the king's inner court, even though they were his friends, if they disobeyed what he told them to do? Generally, them and their head became separated objects. Even though they were his friends. He's the king. You do what the king says. Now, we have a gracious king, thank God. Otherwise, me and my head would have been separate entities long ago. But obedience is the first requirement of a friend of God. If you love someone, you value what they value. You love what they love. And that obedience leads to the second expectation. Fruit. He wants us to produce. Not for his benefit. Because this is, this is where I struggle all the time. I think me producing fruit benefits God. If something can benefit God, he's not perfect. God don't need anything from me. If he needed something from me, he's not complete, therefore he's not God. He wants to extend his grace and his love to all of mankind through us. Now, I've told him, I think that was the worst plan that's ever been created. You know us. We're not any good at this. You should have had a plan B. We are the only plan. The expansion of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only plan for that expansion is you and me. There's no reinforcements coming. There's no backup coming. There's no other plan. We are the plan. Which again, all of you are like, I understand why Brian's asked God, like, is there another plan? Because I know me. This is gonna be really difficult. But the fruit is found in 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Sorry, this is verse 16, I apologize. That you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. For a fruit to abide, it must be eternal. I'm going to say that again. For a fruit to abide, according to New Testament understanding, it has to be eternal. So the fruit that God is asking, that Jesus is asking for here, is salvations, is changed lives, is eternal consequence. Fruit that is able to be reproduced. That's why so many churches talk about um, creating disciples who make disciples. That it reproduces itself. That's the, that's the joy of fruit, that inside the fruit is the ability to reproduce itself. That's why I think fruit is the most perfect analogy for what God wants us to do. He changes us, makes us a new creation, and then when we go forward, we have the seed inside of ourselves to reproduce the next generation. And that next generation has a seed inside itself to reproduce the next generation, and it continues on and on and on through all of eternity. Now, anytime I talk about fruit, there's always a discussion. Well, what, is, what does fruit mean? Are we talking the fruits of the Spirit? Are we talking just salvations? Or what are we talking about here? And sometimes, i got to be honest, the Bible's not super clear on what fruit is expected. It's really not. That's one of those ambiguous things that, that we know all that God wants us to know. 
But sometimes we don't always know exactly what the fruit that God is asking for. This time we do. Jesus closes this little section with pop quiz. If you've heard more than two of my messages, what do you think the greatest fruit is? These things I have commanded you so that you will love one another. He starts this section with, this is my command to you, that you love one another. And then he ends with, all of these things I have commanded you so that you can love one another. John 15, 12 is what I said, and then John 15, 14, he says, if you love me, you will do what I command you. The obedience that he is asking for that produces abiding, lasting, eternal fruit is love. It's unbelievably simple, and that's what's so frustrating to me. I wish it was more complicated because then I could have more excuses for why I'm not doing it. That's where I'm at in, this, in my understanding of this message. I wish it was more complicated so I could have more excuses for why I'm not doing what my king has commanded me to do. That he has taken beyond calling me his son but calls me his friend. Has brought me in so close that I'm a friend of God. This friend of God who John later in the book of 1 John tells us that God is love, that his main characteristic that we understand and can see is love. And we have to be people that are immediately defined by that love. What am I immediately defined by? That's my fruit. When people look at me, when, when you talk about me and their first thought about me, that is the fruit I am producing in their lives. And if that fruit for me isn't, man, that guy loves, and he loves me, then I'm not being obedient to what God has asked me to do. What am I defined by? That is my fruit in that person's life. And that is where it gets really difficult. Because if Jesus said, let's, let's take it, where Jesus, we can say, well, we gotta understand the context. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. Okay, great. So let's say this message is only for believers. Okay, I can, I can say that. That means that in the life of every other believer that you ever come into contact with, the fruit that bears in their life is love. Well, he, he's a nice person. Close. Jesus didn't say, if you love me, be nice to each other. He said, if you love me, love one another. Oh, he's a great preacher. That's good. That's good. That's not the fruit that I'm supposed to produce in your life. That's not the fruit you're supposed to produce in my life. That's not the fruit you're supposed to produce in your kids' lives. That's kids. That's not the fruit you're supposed to produce in your parents' lives. The fruit that we are supposed to produce because we are friends of God and we are to be obedient and produce fruit, that fruit that should be what is produced in each and every person that we come in contact with is the first thought when they think of us is, wow, they love me. They love me. They may not do it perfectly, but they love me. Because if you ask my kids, I think that's exactly what they'd say. 
Dad says sorry a lot, but he loves me. And that's what it means when it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We, we, we don't do it perfectly, but we recognize when we don't and we, we apologize. We want to be better. When I recognize that I'm not loving other people, it's not perfect, but it should be my continuous striving point. Because I'm a friend of God. He called me friend. He chose me. And my response to the creator of the universe choosing me as a friend is to be obedient to the things that he has commanded me to do. And in John 15, Jesus makes it very clear. I've said, I want you, I've said all these things so that you can do what I have commanded you to do. And the thing that I've commanded you to do is love one another. Because the best expression of us walking side by side with God is how well we walk side by side with everyone else. The best expression of how well we walk side by side with God is how well we walk side by side with everyone else. In this, they will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's pray. God, forgive me, repent for not doing this well. God, I'm selfish and self-centered and self-focused and, and it's me and I and all those things. And God, I look at this audience and, and I'm gonna make some pretty solid assumptions that love is not the first thing that is always thought about when, it's, when they think of me and God, help me to change that. God, may that be the calling card of each and every one of us in this space that has claimed you as savior and has called your friend, that the first thing that is thought about with us is how much we love. And not just love in a general sense, but we love specifically individually. God, that we're grace-filled. And that we bring hope to people. God, thank you that you love us so much. And God, thank you that you've given us all knowledge for us to understand what you want us to understand about you. And the more that we understand you and the more that we connect with you and the more that, that we can understand your love, I think the easier it is for us to be obedient. God, not many of us are really good about being obedient out of fear. God, help us to be obedient out of love because you love us more than we could ever understand or ever imagine. God, I think what you're calling us to do is to love everyone else more than they could ever think or imagine. Help us to die to ourselves. Help us to carry your cross, which on it you sacrificed yourself for your friends, which you said is the greatest demonstration of love that we'll ever experience. And so God, help us to lay down our lives for our friends. God, help us to love better. God, help us to be obedient better. Help me be obedient more. As I tell my kids all the time, God, on the first try, help me to be obedient. God, I pray that this message um, challenged and convicted, but also, God, remind people that there's no condemnation. As Lath said earlier, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Whether we do this extremely well or extremely poorly, you love us the same. God, I don't understand that. But if that's how you love me, help me to love everyone else that way. That whether they're succeeding or failing, I love them the same. 
Because God, in that we produce fruit that abides for all eternity and that has salvation. And I so look forward to seeing eternity's shores and seeing the countless people that have been brought into that space through this body and our love. Get us in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.